Hello and welcome to On Background, brought to you by iPolitics. I'm retired campaign manager Fred Delory, and today we're talking about something I didn't anticipate, but something big caught my eye this week, and I, I want to jump into this topic. And as a legendary Mike Tyson once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Now, I didn't get punched in the mouth, the opposite actually. I came across something I think will be very exciting to everyone who follows politics closely. So a few days ago, I was scrolling through Substack and I came across something that uh, made me sit up straight. And it was a post called In Focus with David Coletto. And it was about something that I truly believe is a game changer in Canadian politics. Uh, Coletto and his firm, Abacus Research, is, is going to start MRP modeling for seat projections in Canada. So that's right, a legitimate polling firm is going to finally be providing the public with legitimate seat projections for all 343 seats in our country. Now, let me just back up here and set the stage a bit. Traditional pollsters, as we know, they give us the, the big picture, the national and regional numbers. But when it comes to seat by seat predicting, that's a rare and complex beast. And I can't recall ever seeing real polling firms ever doing it and releasing the outcomes. The existing seat predictors out there leave a lot to be desired. Uh, they're often based on outdated methods, making wild assumptions based on historical data and regional shifts. It's a recipe for inaccuracy. And from my experience in, in managing national and provincial campaigns, it is a source of endless frustration. I can tell you I've spent countless hours trying to reassure MPs rattled by these flawed seat predictions or motivating them out of complacency that is caused by a, a false sense of security. It's, it's a cycle of misinformation that's all too common and incredibly challenging to break. But here's where David Coletto is stepping in and changing the game in Canada. He's bringing MRP polling to the table and making it available to Canadians. This isn't just another polling method. It's a, it's a sophisticated approach that predicts the outcomes of each electoral district with a level of precision we haven't seen before in the public domain in Canada. Uh, this is real science, real polling, real numbers we're looking at here when you do MRP modeling because it's current and not based on what people did in the last election. I'm particularly thrilled about MRP because guess what? I've actually seen the power of it firsthand. I've used this very method uh, of polling for the last general election when I was a national campaign manager for the Conservatives. So as you can tell, I was very excited to read that David Coletto is bringing it to the public domain. So I scrapped my plans for this week, and now we're talking about this because, again, I truly believe this is a revolutionary approach in Canadian politics, and it's going to be very fun to watch this unfold over the next number of years. So... Without further ado, let's go on background with the expert himself. David Coletto, welcome to On Background. Hey, it's great to be here. Look, David, if I haven't made it clear yet, I'm very, very excited uh, that you're bringing MRP modeling to the public. I think it's 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 going to give us the best picture we can have on what the next election may look like. And we'll be able to watch the ebb and flow as we navigate the months and years ahead. Uh, so I'd love to unpack this with you. Like, um, you can no doubt tell the story much better than I can, what MRP is um, and why you're using it and how you think it'll be useful. Yeah, so first off, MRP stands for Multiple Regression and Post-Stratification. Hence why we call it MRP and not those four words. Um, and it's basically a, an advanced uh, statistical model that has two, two parts to it. One is the multiple regression, which anyone who took a fairly advanced social science research methods class will know it's, it's, it's 
like a an algorithm that you're basically trying to understand what variables produce an outcome. In this case, we're trying to predict um, or estimate how people would vote, right? And so you'd look at a number of variables. But the power of uh, MRP is it's it's a what we call a multi-level model. So we're looking not just at the characteristics of the individual, so their gender, their age some opinions they might have, how they say they voted in the past, but also where they live and what are the characteristics of the community in which they live. So that could be, um, is it an urban center? Is it uh, wealthy or is it not so wealthy? Is it highly educated? So we're looking at both the ecological environment of that individual and the individual's personal characteristics. And then we're basically mapping a large national survey that we would do that would ask those questions with census data because the census is the most powerful tool we have and it's telling us sometimes right down to the neighborhood level who lives in that neighborhood who lives in that electoral district that constituency and so we basically run models to predict that outcome that then tell us the likely uh, result in a riding based on the current polling that we have and that census data the current numbers, uh, the, the first model you did, um, tell me, unpack that a bit. What's that look like? Yeah, so uh, earlier this week, we, we put out the model that showed the Conservatives would win 204 seats out of the 343 in the new map that, mm. that will take effect in the spring. The Liberals are at 69, which is a drop of 87. The Bloc at 43, the NDP at 27, which is a gain of three for them. And we're projecting no green MPs in in, in this parliament. So, right. I mean, Fred, when you look at those numbers, is there anything that really kind of surprised you? The 200, uh, over 200 should be shocking to everyone, but we've been feeling that for a long time. You had the poll out this summer, I think was the first that showed Pierre really mm-hmm. opening his lead. Uh, so 200's not uh, as surprising, though it should be. Uh, 69, though, that is a huge drop for the Liberals. Uh, and it, I, I would exp- I would thought the Bloc and the NDP will will fall into them, right? Because if this becomes an election where it's very polar opposites with Polyev and Trudeau, you would think that the progressive left may come together. And maybe they still will. This model is obviously a snapshot before an election. Uh, the block surged though too. That's 40 some seats you said. Like that's not, uh, this is a party that I remember 10 years ago was on its deathbed yeah. and here they are. Uh, the NDP I'm not surprised with. 20, they're, always, they're just there. They're a party that's always just stuck around that number and they, they eat a lot of liberal vote and help us win. I think they're a great party for that purpose. They're very good for conservatives. Um, as a campaigner, I would be very nervous if I was leading campaign with 200 plus seats. Obviously, it's a great place to be and you mm-hmm. want to be there, but holy smokes, that's so high and it's so hard to maintain that. And I think it's going to tighten up over the next uh, year or so, whenever we get to the next election. Maybe it won't though. Maybe this is the new norm. Uh, but if it does, you're going to have start, you're going to have people now questioning what's happening, why, you know, pointing fingers at the conservative campaign, what are you doing wrong? Uh, so, but at the same time, it, it is that you obviously want to be in that position, not 69 seats. Like that's the third, that's the second worst uh, in history of the Liberal Party. If yeah. You get that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the results also sh- give you insight into what the party's trying to do or the government's trying to do, right? We're, we're, we're projecting that there'd only be four Liberals left in Atlantic Canada. Amazing, right? Like I ran in, in 2015 when they won 32 yeah. of 32 seats. They, and not just one, they slaughtered, slaughtered us. Like I was the closest Nova Scotia conservative elected and I lost by over 10,000 votes. Uh, it was a, it was just a, a reckoning. So to see them down to those numbers, it's, it's amazing. Um, 
and this is the power of MRP, really, because it, what it's doing is saying, what is it about people who live in New Brunswick or Nova Scotia or PEI about their, not just their, their, their demographic or socioeconomic profile, but also how is the cost of living crisis affecting them differently than people right. who live in other parts of the country? And it's clear it's having a materially different effect, which is affecting their political opinions and thereby the likelihood that they're actually going to vote liberal or conservative this time. And so that is a perfect example of how um, this is different than other ways of projecting polling results to, to seats. Right. So what we did in 2021, so just to back up, we had a firm uh, out of the UK that we worked with. So they were involved in the UK elections that we know where this kind of this model seemed to have been born from. Um, we uh, we worked with a four, we hired a firm that uh, they worked for Boris Johnson, Scott Morrison, mm-hmm. Australia, and they worked on Brexit actually as well. And they came to us with this uh, with this idea. I'd never heard of MRP before. Uh, they probably told me what it, the the whole word was, and I of course never uh, looked at it again until today. Um, we had a, a, an interesting. Uh, discussion about it because it's something we haven't done before, right? In, in Canadian politics, we when you're in a, a central campaign, you look for your target seats and you poll just there. Yeah. You don't poll seats you have no hope in. You don't uh, you don't poll super safe seats unless the campaign's not going so well and you have to do a check. Um, but what we did, um, we went out, we spent a, a significant amount of money and polled the whole country, the initial poll that you mentioned, and we broke the country up into basically nine blocks mm-hmm. of what each Canadian would fit into. Four of them would have been our voters or voters that could vote for us, and that's who we talked to for the next uh, year and a half. Uh, is that something that you would do too? Would you be breaking it into like nine different blocks, or is it... Uh, well, we, we would start with, I guess you're looking at it from a strategic I'm looking at how to win right? election. And so right? it, yeah. the use of MRP depends on what the objective is. Is this an electoral campaign? Right. Is this a, a persuasion campaign? You're trying to convince people of an idea. You, I think the, the applications could be for lobbyists, for, for, for digital campaigns, for, for political campaigns. Um, but what matters is that, that first large national survey, mm-hmm. right? That captures... Um, questions on who these people are we have to know things like their what their 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 reported gender age um the kind of house they live in um the community they live in and then we can match them basically with the census data and find out for example if we know the relationship between someone's demographic profile where they live some of their political opinions perhaps how they said they voted last time whether they voted or not Mm -hmm. as well as the likelihood that they might vote in the next election or in, if you're in an election in that current election, we can then uh, identify where do they live? Where are people who match this most likely to live? And if we know that those variables predict with some certainty their likelihood to vote for a certain party, then we can start to say, okay, in Richmond Hill, Ontario, where I was growing up, um, you know, if you live in a four-bedroom, <laughs> fairly expensive house now, you have a 70% likelihood if you're Italian and female and 40 years old, you have a 50% chance of voting liberal, 50% chance of voting conservative. In some other cases, you have even higher certainty. If I told you mm-hmm. you are a 45-year-old male in um, Leduc, Alberta, probably a 90 to 95% chance you're voting conservative. Right. And so the model takes all those pro- uh, probabilities and aggregates them up and then makes a projection for how a particular 
geography, whether that be an electoral district or a, a province or right down to a, a, a precinct or a, a polling um, district might vote. Right. And that's that's what we did during the campaign, too. And I'm glad you're here to explain that. Um, me being a campaign manager, uh, I wasn't quite into the weeds on this stuff. So it's great to hear exactly how that works. What we were doing uh, with that data and that information was we were able to uh, identify where our target seats were, but our target polls as well and the type of voter that yeah. lived in each one of those polls. And we, would, we actually had a, a very uh, successful um, letter campaign that we developed where uh, voters would receive letters from the leader or local candidate or someone prominent in the region. And we were able to really pinpoint, and we saw the results. So from a political standpoint, it was really interesting um, how we were able to do that. Because tr traditionally in the past, you would just, it would be hard to figure out in the riding where you would send these letters. And it's hard to do direct mail. It's expensive. Uh, so it was, it was an, an interesting way to do it. Um, and I'll tell you from the results side of things, during the campaign, uh, the way it worked for us. And the Conservative parties, I think, moved away from what we were doing. I don't think they're doing it anymore. Um, they have, they're going back to the traditional methods, which, which works. It worked for them in the past. And they also, of course, are innovating with, uh, with their social media reach and I think are doing different uh, focus groups of sort through that method that works. But what we did, uh, we would poll aggressively for two days and then it would take about a day to run it through the system and then we'd get an output. So every three days during the campaign, we'd get a, an update on what the actual seat count was, which was amazing to see, right? I've never, I've been a part of four national campaign teams, lots of provincial campaigns, never actually had this type of result where you could see what the numbers were. And we all know this is a fight for seats. So for us to be able to, uh, you know, to see where we were, and there was a point in the campaign halfway through, we had about a 20 seat lead on the liberals yeah. and it was, you know, obviously, uh, things were going very well then, uh, our, our campaign was performing well, and then it tightened up near the end. The liberals got their act together, really. They started campaigning. They were absent the first two weeks, but also COVID. Uh, hit us hard. But I remember on Monday getting our numbers and our lead was down to four seats the a week before election day. The Thursday, we were back up to nine and it was like, okay, this mm -hmm. is good. We're going to have more seats than the liberals. We'll see how this all falls out after. Maybe that doesn't matter in this new context. Then Sunday night, we got the last polling uh, result for the the day before the election and the bottom just fell out. You know, on Thursday night, Jason Kenney closed down Alberta uh, and uh, there was a Globe and Mail story about conservatives refusing to say whether they've been vaccinated and uh, the bottom fell out of the campaign right then. And it was interesting talking to our data guys saying how, you know, if the election was a week before, uh, Aaron O'Toole would have been prime minister. If the election was a week later, Justin Trudeau would have had a majority. Interesting. So it was wow. a major flip. Uh, but it was so fascinating as a campaigner to see the ebb and flow, to see these seats come and go. Newfoundland uh, is a great example. There was a riding there. We led the entire campaign in, uh, in, the, in Newfoundland until the last day. We lost that one. And we picked up one, the one we had, Clifford Small mm -hmm. seat, that we didn't ex expect to win. So... With that, how often do you think you'll be doing this, like running these numbers and putting this out there for people to see? Well, I think what, uh, I th just let's let's talk a little bit about what we need to be able to do at first, right? And, and so you couldn't do this with a survey of what we normally would do of, of 1,500 to 2,000 people, right? I think at the right. minimum you need, the larger the sample, the better, because then you're getting more certainty on the relationship between all those variables I talked about earlier and their likelihood to vote for a party or vote at all. So what we did in this case was we actually rolled up 
four of the surveys we've done in in uh, October, end of September to October, which luckily all of them had more or less the same vote distribution, right? right? Like we, we, we were consistently seeing now a double digit conservative lead. And so by, by, by averaging them all out, it didn't change the story. Um, so my hope is to do this every every few months. I don't think this is something we can do uh, every week whenever we release a poll. Like we just released a poll uh, mm-hmm. earlier this week and, and you know we don't have corresponding seat projection with it because I'll need a few more polls uh, in order to be able to do that. But if you're a campaign or you're working on, a, on a, an issues campaign, right? The core thing here is you need a large national survey. But where I see the real value in this, and you'll know this, you mentioned this firsthand, it's just how difficult it is these days to do a riding level poll. So mm-hmm. even if you went back to the traditional method of saying, okay, we're going to identify our you know, 50 target ridings and we're going to try to do rolling tracking of those, those seats, that's really hard to do. It's super expensive. You can only really do it by phone. And response rates re- continue to, to just plummet. Yeah. Like I, I, I still have clients who come and say, I want to understand what's going on in a small geography and we can do it, but you're paying a ton of money for what I don't think is increasingly good return right. on that investment. So what this allows you to do is actually invest close to the same amount of money um, maybe even sometimes less, do that large national survey, but then you get a national picture. And so mm-hmm. your point about, you know, you did this during the campaign itself, but the but one of the other value points would be, hey, say you're two years out from an election and you're trying to identify seats that could be winnable, but you would have never thought because you weren't polling in there. You weren't, you weren't looking at um, really the relationship between how people living in a certain part of the country are feeling about the issues and the leader and, and all the other things that, that affect their voting behavior, um, this would signal that that riding in Newfoundland that could be winnable that you wouldn't have otherwise known, right? right? So I think it, it ex- allows you to expand your, um, your, your universe. And the other benefit is, and where this differentiates from other seat projection kind of models, which rely on kind of a swing model that looks at the change in vote from, you know, the last election to what the polls are saying today and assumes a lot about the uniformity of that swing and whether people living in Richmond Hill are going to, you know, shift their votes the same way as people living in downtown Toronto or in rural Alberta or wherever. What this does is it, it, it throws all those assumptions out and it says every time we take a survey, we're looking at um, how those variables, those, those those characteristics of the individual match on to probably their opinions about what's mm-hmm. important to them, what are they worried about, how do they feel about the, pol- the political choices they have, and ultimately how they're going to vote. And I think particularly at a time like this in Canadian politics, where I'm seeing in other, in the research I'm doing, a slight alignment, realignment yeah. in... The, the, the tendencies of people, right? That, that we're looking at places like Windsor, Ontario, right? I'm fascinated by what's going on in Windsor where Doug Ford provincially picked up a seat in Windsor that in the city, Essex, the surrounding areas has been conservative. Right, the before, rural area has been fine. But they won an urban Windsor seat that I don't think progressive conservatives in Ontario have won in a very, very long time. And I think, and our model suggests that Pierre Polyev, if the election were today, would likely mm-hmm. not just squeak by in one of those, in, in I think it's Windsor, Tecumseh, and there's, another, there's a new name to that riding, but would probably win it fairly handedly because of the, the, because of the nature of that riding and now how they're aligning their politics. Right, and that's a good point. A lot of people, when we're out there talking now, they, they, 
they say it's going to be a change election. I don't see it that way. I think it's a realignment election. It's not about just throwing the, the bums out like we have every 10 years. It feels like core values are changing and realigning. And this and this polling could pick up on that, like you said, in those areas. Yeah. Um, and to your point earlier, we actually started, I think when, when I was named national campaign manager in 2020, the very first thing I did was sign off on starting this project for MRP polling. Mm. It was the top, uh, we needed research and data before you could do anything, right? I'm a big believer in um, actually knowing what the, the lay of the land looks like before you try to, uh, to run a campaign. So we had we only had 10 months though before the election, but we were able to do that and try to get our messaging aligned with that and find those target areas. And I know it was act- the Ontario PCs actually did do this as well. They did MRP in their last provincial election and I'm told their results were bang on. Mm. Uh, do you see, where do you see flaws in it though? Is there something, like I, I will say uh, in, the, in the 2021 campaign, there were a number of seats we missed. Our, our predicting was pretty well bang on, except there were seats with a heavy Chinese Canadian population. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've talked on the record a mm-hmm. lot about that. I've even uh, appeared at parliamentary committee to talk about that. But do you, where do you see that there, there could be weak Yeah, spots? I mean, there's a few. There's a few because the model is agnostic to external forces that we can't measure or uh, predictors of a candidate's success that don't show up. So um, one is, you know, you use the example of, of, of ridings that had higher concentrations or proportions of, of Chinese-Canadian community. If there was something going on, and big if, I think we know something was going on, mm-hmm. um, and it had a uniform effect, then the model shouldn't pick that up because unless we know that and somehow work it in, right. it's, it's going to assume that, that if you live in that riding and your, de- your, your, your profile looks like this, that you should, that writing should go a certain way. Um, so, so that's one weakness, right? It, it doesn't take into account some of those nuances. Something that I also recognize, and it shows up in our own model, the, the numbers we put out uh, this week, for example, say that Elizabeth May would lose her seat right. in, in, in BC. I think that's highly unlikely, right? Mm-hmm. Now, she would be the green candidate, a hypothetical green candidate based on past results and based on what the people in that, that community typically should vote for, would the Greens would come second, but they lose to the Conservatives by seven points, which I don't think ca- takes into account how high profile right. and how much personal vote there is for Elizabeth May, regardless of her party. And she's a rarity in herself in that she would have a local poll that 99% of local MPs would not have, right? Exactly. They don't. Exactly. So, you know, it it misses those, those on the margins, but even if you're looking at like really close ridings, right? Like, and you've got an incumbent or a challenger candidate that has, like I, I did my PhD research on the impact that candidate quality has on outcomes. And depending on you know, your, your previous experience, I looked at three, three elections and ran models around this, depending on your previous experience, how long you've been an incumbent, you can have like a two to five point boost, right? Mm-hmm. Now in, in a close riding, that could make the difference. This model's not necessarily going to pick it up. Now you ask Eric Grenier, he tries to take into account a little bit of that candidate quality in his version of the models. It's so hard to actually know what a local MP is thought of by his constituents. Cause a lot of them don't, I remember we had a candidate provincially in Nova Scotia. He was a former, um, a former chief, uh, fire chief. And he really believed he had huge name recognition cause he was a fire chief, yeah. right? He's in the news a lot. Uh, and I remember we pulled his name and showed him the result. No one knew who he was. 
and uh, I think a lot of like I don't know how you would measure actual name recognition. And that's why I don't think you can take it into account. All I'm saying is it's a weakness that we can't really adjust for because we don't know uh, right. a, 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 a systematic way of doing it. That's fair and that's actually accurate. So I let the model do what it does, but mm-hmm. knowing there's still going to be some error, as with there is with every survey and right. every kind of uh, tool like this. But at the at the end of the day, what, what it what where it's different is its ability to recognize that different communities produce different outcomes, not just because of a regional difference, which we take into account, say Alberta versus Quebec, but also within Alberta, um, we know there's a lot of variation. And so it, 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 it builds all that in and therefore gives you a much more nuanced understanding at any given moment. And that's the real value at any given moment about what's happening or what what could yeah. happen or likely to happen in terms of how people vote. Yeah, again, from a campaigner, just to see the ebbs and flows, to see where different regions are popping up, you're able to make quicker decisions. Because again, the old method is that, that we used to use, and I think the party may have come back to it, is you're just pulling in the target seats. So you just know what's happening in those yeah. specific seats. And you're missing a lot, potentially. You're creating blind spots for yourself. And beyond the, you know, the, the, the experience you describe uh, on a campaign, I mean, the experience in other countries of, of MRP being mm-hmm. very powerful and effective at, at anticipating an outcome that many people didn't see or the polls wouldn't have suggested. I mean, the, the most famous example is the 2017 UK general election. In right. that election, if you remember, Elizabeth, uh, not Elizabeth, Theresa May, the prime minister, the conservative prime minister, called an early election, mm-hmm. thought she was going to win a whopping majority, is going to allow her to bring, deliver Brexit, right, get that done. And about three quarters of the way of the campaign, it went badly for them. If you remember, Jeremy Corbyn yeah. actually looked like he had momentum, like Amazing, that, that eh? something could, yeah. Um, that YouGov, I think, did a, an MRP poll, another polling firm that said mm-hmm. they were projecting a hung parliament and it turned out to be very accurate. Yeah. And so they've done it in other elections and the US, um, I think uh, Politico's even reporting this week of of a similar method being used to try to predict the outcome in states for the presidential election. And they're projecting right now that Donald Trump would win uh, enough electoral votes today based on the polling that's available to do that. And so I just thought, you know, our system's perfect for this. Why aren't we doing mm-hmm. it? And Abacus, you know, we've been we've had the advantage of doing large samples that we could put together. The other thing that I think and I'm actually you know, you're you're at a, at a heart uh, a campaigner um, for votes, but I also think there's applications for this technology and this methodology in other areas, right? Um, the ability, for example, if you're a lobbyist, um, either in-house or, or a consultant, to produce, imagine, 343 individual reports for every MP to tell right. them what their constituencies think about a particular issue. Well, yeah, we can anytime do the that. bill comes in, right? You could say, here's how your, your, your voters think about it. We can do that now, right? Where you wouldn't have the ability even to do it in one or two ridings. You now... Right, it would cost you, you an insane amount. Insane amount. And, and, and there the would be no and, yeah. real, you know, sometimes you might do it if you're trying to convince, you know, a minister to, to move on something and say, hey, you know, minister, your, your constituents also think uh, something aligns with this. But so that's one uh, real uh, value. The other is for anyone who's involved in in advertising or you know digital campaigning in the sense that as you said you could get right down not just to the riding level but to uh what you know fsa so the forward sortation area which is the first three digits of your postal code you could Mm -hmm. get down to even the census unit like the census has 
when they when they conduct when StatsCan conducts the census, they have actually have broken up geography by census unit. We could get right down to there and and even estimate what a community of ten thousand or five thousand actually is thinking about something. So imagine the precision by which you could target messages as you did with that letter. You could do it in other ways as well. So, you know, if you've got the resources mm -hmm. and the stakes are high, this is definitely a methodology that that's going to give those that use it, I think, a real advantage over those that are still wed to some of the older ways that right. I think are increasingly less accurate and mm -hmm. and just not worth the return on investment. Yeah, absolutely. I fully agree on that. How you said every few months during an election, do you think you'll be ramping this up? Will you be putting out seat projections that will be uh, at a more? I, I I hope so. So what we're still working on is how quickly, as you said, yeah. we can we can turn because um, it does take time. Like it took us. We were a national campaign focused purely on winning seats, right? We weren't worrying about yeah. like getting a, doing a news story. It's about getting uh, results that could help us adapt. It took, it's every three days. It's yeah. not a daily thing. And that was putting a lot of resources and a lot of money into it. I mean, the problem for a pollster like me is, you know, we're not paid to do right. any of that election right. polling, right? It's rare to find a media organization that has the budget to, to do that anymore. It's millions of dollars, millions of dollars, right? Um, for, well, during, during a campaign. Not for us, but it's thousands of dollars. Right. But right. if, and, and we're, we're doing it, most pollsters do it because it's our marketing, right? It's how we get our name out there. It's how we demonstrate that we know what we're doing and we're good at it and we're thoughtful and all those kinds of things. But in order to do this during a campaign, we'd have to be interviewing, let's say you wanted, you know, Fred, uh, an update on the seat projections every week, right? Mm -hmm. We'd probably be, need to, be needing to survey eight to a thousand people every day in order to ramp up that four or 5,000 that we need to do this really well. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it can be done. Like if you've got the resources as you did, you could be doing this and, and producing estimates every week, every few days. But from a, from a pollster that's putting out public information, mm -hmm. I'll, I'm going to hope to do it a few times for sure during a campaign. Um, and, and we've got the BC election coming up, which, right. which some few people have pointed out might be a good good test good drive test for this yeah. because it's one thing for me to put out numbers now to maybe two years out before a federal election. Um, I still haven't, we, no one's really publicly shown um, how this works. I mean, the confidence that you have, because you saw it behind the scenes, mm. it gives me faith that this works really when well. I saw you, um, when I saw you writing about this, I was like, we got to talk about this because this is something that I think is the future of, of polling in a lot of ways and uh, for political junkies. Because again, the, the aggregators that are putting stuff out, they're putting out the, uh, the projections and they're just, they could be wildly off. Uh, they may be ballpark in the right area, but missing the wrong seats. Um, and it's, uh, I know as a campaigner, it's very frustrating dealing with local campaigns who are, um, yeah. who are depending on this stuff as if it's legitimate uh, polling and research. So I'm very excited about where this is going and w what we could see come from it. So I think during an election, if you're putting stuff out, I think it's going to get a big pop. Because again, legitimate firm doing legitimate polling using a legitimate model that is being used around the world. Again, um, the firms we used... Uh, in the last general, like they're in the UK, Australia, New Zealand, yeah. and throughout Europe. So it is a... Uh, well, I, I, I suspect you'll see others maybe jump on this, right. this bandwagon, but but let's remember who did it first. That's right. <laughs> Abacus data. Right. I'm always selling, but yes. yes. Yeah. Oh, it's... Uh, it, campaigns and politics is all about innovation. I remember um, I was at uh, Prime Minister Harper's house one afternoon 
with uh, the late Senator uh, Doug Finley about uh, over a decade ago. And we're chatting about campaigns and politics. And I asked him, like, are you ever going to run a campaign again? And he said, uh, you know, the desire is there, but I just don't know the technology anymore. Mm. Um, you have to be completely co- or constantly innovating. And uh, that's what I see you're doing. And that's what we did last election, right? And I think, and Polyev's doing it now with this social media stuff. I do believe, I don't have a full understanding of what they're doing, um, but I think it's almost a form of focus groups, what they're doing. When they're putting out uh, their messaging and they're testing it and seeing how it's resonating yeah. with potential voters. And I think they adjust their message. You keep seeing new slogans pop up. Um, and I think they're doing it that way. And I think it's working very well for them, given where we're seeing they are, where they are in the numbers, which is at historic levels as a conservative. Yeah, I mean, he has such a, a an audience that you're basically able to do real-time mm-hmm. That night, A-B he could testing know. How did almost, it work? How right? did it work and, and adjust, and is, was there high engagement, and were the right people engaged, and you know, like it's 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 probably a, a remarkable thing uh, that they're able to do because of the, just the sheer scale that that he's got in terms of that audience engaging with him. Right. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Really enjoy this chat, and I really think MRP is uh, is going to be the future of how at least folks like me who are really observing politics and seeing what is the horse race, giving me the national numbers. Uh, it, it's interesting, but you know we can we can only win so many seats in Saskatchewan. We already have all 14. We can't win more. So if our numbers are going up and it's impacting our national numbers, it's not actually showing me anything. But with this, with MRP, we can see what the actual seat counts are, which I think is going to be uh, the future of how we look at politics. And, and Fred, if I could just uh, send your listeners to my Substack, they can yes. get they can get sort of the how, the why, and the results that of our first uh, attempt at this plus a riding-by-riding breakdown of, of the projections at davidpaletto.substack.com. Yes, and that's what tipped me off to this whole conversation. So yeah. uh, please uh, check that out, folks. All right, thanks a lot, David. Thanks, Fred. All right, that brings us to the end of today's episode of On Background, uh, brought to you by iPolitics. I'm Fred DeLore, and as always, it's been a pleasure uh, diving into the evolving world of political campaigns and the exciting potential of MRP modeling. I want to extend a big thank you to David Coletto uh, for the fun chat. And remember, folks, the world of politics is ever-changing, and here at On Background, I'm committed to keeping you in the loop on the latest developments. I really want to peel back the political onion. I want to let people into our world so they can see what we're up to and maybe understand why we do the things we do. So don't miss out on our next episode. Uh, We've got another great topic coming up and I'd love it if you could subscribe to On Background wherever you get your podcasts. This way you won't miss any of our future episodes. And if you enjoyed today's show, we'd love if you could leave us a review. Your feedback not only uh, helps us improve, but it also helps more people discover our podcast. So thanks again for joining us. Stay informed, stay engaged, and we'll see you next week for another deep dive into the world of Canadian politics right here on Background.